What's going on, everyone, and welcome into another edition of the Golden Homers podcast brought to you by Winning Edge Sports Network and to Fanboys. I'm your host, Nathan Erbach, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mason Plummer. Exciting episode ahead. Since we last spoke to you guys, Notre Dame received a commitment from Ohio State grad transfer, Javante Jean-Baptiste, and we're going to break down the significance of his addition to the defensive line room. Notre Dame had a busy weekend on campus as well, as they hosted one of their annual junior days and many high-level 2024 and 2024 prospects were on campus lots of exciting information coming out of South Bend from that plus a big prediction from our boy Tom Loy at 24-7 sports for a recruit that wasn't on campus and is close to making a final decision on January 31st we will wrap up the show with some Irish in the NFL and men's hoop discussion jam-packed episode coming your way let's get after it Low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, hand fighting, but Kimberly goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. Thanks for tuning in to the Golden Homers podcast. I have Mason Plummer here with me as always. Hopefully we have a stupid, hopefully we do not have those stupid audio issues um, that we had last week. Uh, we're, we're behind that and my and I have my mic back, so we're, we're good there. As mentioned in the intro, we have a loaded episode for you guys today. We're recording here on January 17th, around six o'clock Eastern time, three o'clock Pacific time, because um, me and Mason live in different time zones, of course. But uh, Mason, my man, let's get right into it. Let's start with the addition of grad transfer Javante Jean-Baptiste. I'm assuming I'm saying that correctly. Um, but what, what do you think he means to the Notre Dame defense in 2023? Yeah, I love it. I mean, Notre Dame needed a defensive line pickup, and I think he's a versatile one. We're not really sure whether he's going to play at the Viper or the strong side defensive end. Maybe he could play a little bit inside, too. He's a big body. I really like that Al Washington coached him at Ohio State and obviously wanted him at Notre Dame. I think that speaks volumes about wanting him at another school and uh, it was a guy that he saw was available and uh, obviously has a good track record with Al Washington. So I like the pickup a lot. It's at a position of need, and I'm really hoping he can come in and be a contributor right away because God knows Notre Dame needs it. We're, I think we're developing a theme here around along the defensive line, which I really like. It's something that Mike Elko didn't always – or not, not Mike Elko. I mean, maybe Mike Elko, but Mike Elston um, did not always emphasize, I guess. I mean, there were some guys like Adi Ogundeji – um, you know, he obviously recruited Isaiah Foskey, who's a long guy, but almost everybody that Notre Dame's recruiting right now along the defensive line, who they're bringing in in the transfer portal, like Javante, they, they're lengthy, man. I mean, Javante is like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Devin Houston, who's now on campus at Notre Dame as an early enrollee in the 2023 class, he's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Brennan Vernon, who's your boy, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Bubakar Traor, same thing. And uh, Armel Mukum, you know, in that same realm. And you're, we're seeing that in the 2024 class, we're going to get into some of these guys, but almost everybody that they're recruiting is either long and big or projected to be long and big. Um, like, like Owen Wafel, I know you're not the biggest fan of his, of his film. I'm a little bit higher on him than you are, but 
his dad is huge. He's a kid that, you know, might only be like six, two, six, three right now, but is continuing to grow. And I think weighed in around 292 pounds or whatever I, I, at Notre Dame's junior day, who we're also going to get into, but, but man, like I, I really like it. Cause it's hard. It, it's so much easier to be an effective player when you don't just have strength or speed or one little thing going your way. When guys have length, speed, power, strength, whatever it is, and you have all of those combined versus just a few things, it's great. And I think that's what Javante Jean-Baptiste brings. Um, you know, he was a role player at Ohio State, kind of similar to Jordan Botello at Notre Dame, had some very good film, uh, you know, was effective in a short period of time. And, you know, whether it's Viper or whether it's strong side defensive end, like you said, maybe it's both. Maybe he plays a little inside as well. I think he's a guy that Notre Dame is going to really enjoy on their defense next year. Yeah, I think so, too. And it's all about versatility, right? And I didn't really even think about um, the body type thing that you mentioned. I I really like that point. Uh, there's there's a clear path for what Notre Dame was going for along the defensive line. They know they need to get bigger. You can't just rely on one thing. That's how you get pushed out of a game or pushed out of the Notre Dame you know, team completely. So uh, getting versatile guys on the defensive line, that's what's really important in college football nowadays is being able to stop the run with the monster dude in the middle. And we have one we'll talk about later on that got crystal balls in Notre Dame but then also the monster edge rushers that can get to the quarterback. So um, Notre Dame has done a good job on the defensive line. It needs to continue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't really know if I have too much more to say about Javante. I mean, I think he's a big addition to the Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame's roster, like I said, in 2023, the one other, one other thing I, I you know, maybe that we should mention about him. And I kind of got into a little bit is, Jordan Battelle last year in a very limited amount of time had, you know, like what five and a half tackles for loss, four sacks. I think Baptiste had four sacks as well. Um, and was a role player was behind a lot of really talented players. And I'm very interested to see if he can get into, you know, or if he's the starter um, or a guy that's going to play significantly more reps, like how does that effectiveness kind of continue? I think at least from his pass, ru pass rush rate perspective, it was even better than Isaiah Foskey last year. And that's why I compare it to, you know, to a guy like Jordan Patello. So it's certainly interesting to see how that works. Um, but I, I mean, I think bare minimum, and you might agree with this, um, bare minimum, it's, you know, a really good depth piece and a guy that's going to bring some pass rush capabilities to the defense where they were sort of lacking um, with Isaiah Foskey out the door, with Judd and Justin Adam Malolo out the door, Jason Adam Malolo out the door as well, even though he's more of an interior guy. Yeah, just somebody you can rely on with prior – solid production you know you can't rely on Batello to do it all himself this year coming off the edge so whether John Baptiste ends up on the edge I'm not totally sure on that just because of his body type doesn't necessarily scream one position or another but I feel better about him being able to tag team with Batello than him just doing it himself yeah and of course he joins uh, Sam Hartman, who all these guys are on campus by the way but Sam Hartman the quarterback from Wake Forest is tr transferred to Notre Dame you had uh, Caleb Smith from Virginia Tech transfer to Notre Dame, uh, Spencer Strider, the kicker from South Florida at Notre Dame, and then Thomas Harper, uh, safety nickel nickel corner from uh, uh, from Oklahoma State is now at Notre Dame. Uh, all guys that we've talked about in the past, go check out our our different episodes if you haven't been able to to kind of get info on those guys. We've we broke down those guys as well, so. Um, a good five-man transfer portal class, I think that's kind of like the bare minimum that Notre Dame should get every year, five to six guys. I expect that, you know, maybe a defensive tackle, maybe a different safety, um, you know, 
maybe if an elite offensive lineman specifically on the interior, um, cause I don't think anybody's going to surpass Joe Walter or Blake Fisher on the offensive line next year for Notre Dame. Um, but if any of the, you know, if, if an elite guy comes in or maybe in the defensive tackles case, if just a guy that can be a big body for you wants you know, wants to come to Notre Dame or enters the portal, um, we might see another guy maybe in the spring. Cause I think the portal closes tomorrow. Um, and then you can still sign guys and get guys committed, but there's going to be less, less of them. Cause a lot of those guys are getting onto different campuses and trying to get into spring ball and so on and so forth. So, um, for now, it's probably the end of it. And we're going to see some guys certainly transfer out of Notre Dame as well. Um, at some point, but, uh, but yeah, no, it should be, uh, should be pretty much set in stone from, from my understanding at least. So you mentioned a, a good point there. Are you surprised that some guys haven't already entered their name? I mean, I was, I personally, expected guys more guys to put their name in before the bowl game and then it was kind of reported that you know okay it's gonna be after the bowl game now we're a couple weeks removed from the bowl game we still don't have the amount of names that we thought we would we're expecting about a dozen um where do you think where do you think those guys end up or when when do they enter i mean this is kind of a weird situation we see guys across the country entering but not a lot of Notre Dame guys but you know we are expecting a handful there there has to be yeah, I think they actually, I mean, I think Alex Peach, who we mentioned in the last podcast, is the really the only guy that's entered since the bowl game, which is certainly interesting there. Um, you know, obviously a few, you know, five or six guys entered before that, but I, th- I think right now they're at, sitting around like 93, 94. Um, yeah. You know, and so they have they have to have another, you know, eight to 10 guys essentially leave. I mean, it's just from a, from a number standpoint, it has to happen. My guess is you're probably going to have a lot of these guys see where they fit. Um, you know, in spring ball, maybe a guy like Aiden Kiana, you know, who realizes that he is a, a probably a, a need player for them. He's he's that guy that can fill that big body, you know, mold. We've heard his name sort of rumored um, as a guy who might end up leaving. Philip Riley is another guy. I mean, I, I know I've mentioned in other podcasts that I hate bringing up guys that haven't actually officially entered the portal. And I hate speculation in that regard. But those are just a few of the names that we've kind of heard. Obviously, there's other positions that you can think of of just guys who haven't played a lot or, um, you know, finally have their degree from Notre Dame or something like that. Or, you know, guys that finally have their degree from Notre Dame that might have an opportunity to sort of get into the portal, whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, man, there's going to be a lot of guys that do enter. I just I think it's going to be more in the spring, you know, see, see where guys kind of fit. And I think that's a good thing for Notre Dame. It's that's essentially Notre Dame in a nutshell, these guys probably still want to be there. And if they can fight for a job, they will. Yeah. And I like that approach for not just kind of give up when, you know, maybe a coach or people surrounding you maybe tell you that you're not going to get guaranteed playing time as early as you thought. Don't give up on it. I mean, obviously you're proven athlete enough to be offered a scholarship to come to Notre Dame. And they, the coaches all thought you were good enough at least at one point to be able to play at Notre Dame. So go and go out and prove your worth. It doesn't happen for everybody right away. Like we saw with Joe Alter or with Ben Morrison. So um, it happens for everybody at different times. And uh, I think that that could be the case here though. There'll be some surprises, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, And I mean, like a guy like Logan Diggs last year, I hate to kind of, you know, keep that point going a little bit, but a guy like Logan Diggs, he was a speculated guy, a guy that people thought was going to, you know, was going to leave. Maybe he was feeling a little homesick, didn't leave. And look what he did at Notre Dame this year. And now he's like sort of a staple and a guy that, you know, talks about how, you know, how successful and how great Notre Dame is. Um, you know, you see it on Twitter almost, you know, weekly he's putting out a video and it, and it, and it, and it kind of gets you excited for him as a junior and what he can maybe produce in the NFL um, after that. But 
Um, you know, let's let's move on to the junior day. It was obviously a huge, huge weekend for Notre Dame. I think they had 17 guys on campus in total. That includes the seven commits, um, you know, in Notre Dame's 2024 class right now. The other guys that were on campus, um, almost all of them got crystal balls <laughs> from our, from our yeah. boy Tom Lai, from from our boy Tom Loy at uh, 24/7 Sports. I think we're probably the only guy that didn't that at least has a Notre Dame you know, committable offer is a Darius Hayes who Notre Dame might lead for right now. He sort of was the headliner um, for, for the uh, guys on campus, uh, the Smith brothers who are twins in the 2024 class, Jacob and Jared, um, you know, they, they both received crystal balls. Peyton Pierce linebacker out of Texas received a crystal ball from Notre Dame. That's going to be a big battle between Notre Dame and, uh, you know, in uh, Oklahoma, Um and I, and I know Tom, we were just listening to Tom on 24 seven sports right before we started recording. And he mentioned, Oh, another Peyton from Texas, um, which is, which is certainly interesting. And, you know, maybe he ends up in Oklahoma and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll piss us off again, but we'll see um, Brian or uh, Bryce Young, son of, you know, Notre Dame, great and NFL hall of famer. Um, Bryant Young was on campus. He also received a crystal ball. Uh, Bronte Johnson is your boy. Um, yes, sir. My, my guy for you in the 2024 class. Notre Dame likes him. I think pretty much anywhere he wants to play. If he wants to play wide receiver, he'll get an opportunity. If he wants to play, you know, safety, he'll get an opportunity. Big body, so he might even grow into something different than that. Who knows? But I, I think he's a very capable athlete at both of those spots. Um, and an in-state kid. Um, and I think probably out of the guys there, Notre Dame arguably – Maybe Styles Prescott, who's another in-state kid who received a crystal ball and was on campus. Those are probably the two guys where I'm like, okay, if Notre Dame doesn't land these guys, I'm going to be very shocked. Um, help me out here, Mason. Who are some other guys on campus? I know J- Jide Ab- Abasari, I think is how you say his name. He did not receive an offer from Notre Dame, but he was on campus. The guy that they're looking out for, Walter Matthews, a tight end from Georgia. Another guy that I think technically has an offer, but they might not be pushing for currently. Um, he obviously did not receive a crystal ball either because of that, um, but a talented tight end in his own right. I'm trying to think if I missed some guys outside of the commits. I think you pretty much nailed it. I just had a couple things to add in terms of there isn't usually Indiana isn't the best state for uh, for talent. It doesn't compare with like the Georgia, Florida, Ohio actually recently. But uh, count me in as very excited to go watch Styles Prescott, who lives or uh, goes to school two miles from my place here in Fishers, Indiana. Yeah, And then Bronte Johnson, my girlfriend's family is from Fort Wayne. So maybe you'll talk her into a trip to go see her family and go watch my boy Bronte. And the, and the cool thing about the Styles Prescott um, recruitment right now, obviously just got the offer, was on campus, got the crystal ball immediately. Seems like a kid that's almost a shoe in for Notre Dame, like we mentioned. But Notre Dame seems to be targeting offensive tackles a lot in this 2024 class because a lot of their guys in the 2023 cycle might end up transitioning more to the interior guard center, whatever it may be. I think Charles Jagusa and, you know, Sullivan Absher can certainly play, um, you know, offensive tackle, but both of those guys might just be dominant guards. So you have a guy like Styles Prescott, who I think is a bookend left tackle. Um, if, if you land him, um, some of the other guys that they're after, you know, Gerby Lambert and uh, what's the other kid's name from Pennsylvania that they're, they're in on here um, who was not on campus. Um, Caleb Brewer, I believe is his name. Uh, but all three of those guys are just athletic offensive tackles. And I think that's what Notre Dame needs with Joe Alt and Fisher probably out the door after next cycle. 
Yeah, I agree. And if it ends up being Prescott and Gerby Lambert as the tackles, count me in for that. I am big on both of those guys. To be honest, I didn't know that Salas Prescott existed three or four days ago, but I've been watching <laughs> film and he's so close to me that uh, count me in. So um, I've been watching Gerby F- Lambert's film, though. Um, he's been a top target for Notre Dame for a while. Big in on, big in on him. Uh, big fan of the talent and the size. You mentioned Notre Dame needs the size badly, and I think they're going to get it in this class based on the kind of guys that they're targeting. Plenty of talent at guard, but when you lose two first-rounders at Alton Fisher um, to the NFL, likely. Although, Nathan, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, it just crossed my mind. Do you think there's any chance – I think Alt's gone after this upcoming season. Right. But what would you think about Blake Fisher coming back to prove that he can be a left tackle? Yeah, dude, honestly, it, it depends. If he has a really, really good year at right tackles, because I, I, I do think that the, at times this year – he was sort of, and I hate saying this because I thought he was really good for the most part. And obviously he's a big name, you know, was a five-star coming out of high school and, you know, had a really good freshman season when he was on the field healthy. He was almost like the fifth best offensive lineman for Notre Dame, which is crazy to think about uh, this past year. And, and it makes a lot of sense because of the injury. He doesn't have a lot of playing time, you know, whatever it may be. If he has a dominant junior season, then sure, go to the NFL. You probably don't have to worry about, you know, showing film that you could be a left tackle. I mean, honestly, I think at the NFL level, he might be a dominant guard anyway, you know, some, similar to, you know, Quentin Nelson, or if you want to compare him to someone like Zach Martin or Liam Eikenberg, who guys who played tackle for Notre Dame, who are now playing guard in the NFL, you know, uh, certainly, certainly guys to kind of compare him to in that, in that sense. But yeah, if he comes back, plays left tackle, I mean, first of all, it's going to help Notre Dame a lot if you lose Joel and you can move him and you can, you know, you can just move your right tackle over to, to left tackle. And, you know, it's something that they've done in the past with with guys. I mean, Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey come to mind with for guys who were right tackles that moved to left tackle at Notre Dame. And now they're bookend tackles and, you know, in the NFL, both were playing in the NFL playoffs and played well. So, yeah, no, I mean, I'd love that. But uh, to be honest with you, Mason, and I know you didn't really mention it, but I also wouldn't be surprised. I know Joe Alt's projected to be a top five, top 10 pick, whatever it may be, probably the best offensive lineman in college football already. How many times do juniors, like true juniors, leave Notre Dame and, you know, and go to the NFL? Like it's, it's pretty rare. So I, and I know it's a different, you know, NFL world these days, it's different college football landscapes these days, but sometimes that can benefit a kid too. Joel can come back to Notre Dame as a senior, have some NIL money in his pocket, make, make good money as a junior and a senior in college, and then go to the NFL. It wouldn't surprise me. Cause like, I, it's just very, I mean, Quentin Nelson, I know he only, I know he only played three years as a starter for Notre Dame and redshirted his, you know, his, his freshman season, which is bizarre to think about when you think about Quentin Nelson in general, but man, like, I don't know. Like, I think sometimes you write off the fact that Joe Alt might return as a senior as well. Yeah. And I would be, I'd be super pumped about that actually. Yeah. And I wonder if that's something that he really looks into. I mean, it's hard to turn down if you're going to be a top five or 10 pick, but if it was any other position, I would write it off and say that's not happening. But especially offensive line, if he wants one more year under he stand. And I also think it has to do with how well Notre Dame does this year. I know there's no way that they'll bring Sam Hartman back again. But if he really sees the 2024 team as a team that could go far and make a college football playoff run, you can't tell me he wouldn't want to be a part of that. So we might be talking ourselves into something that'll never happen, but I'm kind of believing it now. And the only reason I bring it up is Joel seems like the kind of kid that would do it. Um, but you know, money talks and draft draft position talks, 
I think he's the type of guy that can be a number one pick in the draft if there's not that quarterback that people want. Now, I think next year there is going to be that quarterback, so he's probably more of a top five to top ten pick. But with that said, man, like you never know. I mean, maybe it's a situation where a team like the Bears is is drafting number one next year. Not not the Bears specifically, but as a similar position where they have their quarterback, but they need that tackle or they need that that defensive lineman. And, you know, they they think Joe Alt is kind of too good to pass up and and, and they do it. So probably <laughs> Joe Alt returns or or, go, or goes to the NFL. Um, but we can dream on a situation where Joel and Blake Fisher return for their senior seasons and Notre Dame has a, a dominant offensive line for years to come. So, um, but getting back on topic a little bit, I guess we were, we kind of went off topic a little bit with the junior day stuff, which is completely fine, but yeah, man, like it's not every day that you have, what is it? Like I said, 10 kids on campus that are uncommitted and, you know, one doesn't even have an offer. Um, you know, we didn't actually, I didn't even mention him, but Dorian Brew is the other guy that had a crystal ball, but he's a 2025 player receiver corner. It looks like Notre Dame likes him at corner, um, from Ohio, originally from Texas. I think his dream school is actually Texas A&M. So Ohio state's not really like the concern there, which is nice. Um, but Tom Moy also projected him to Notre Dame. And I, you know, at least from the way things are kind of being portrayed, you know, on different websites and stuff like that. If you guys follow brew might be their first commit in the 2025 class. It wouldn't surprise me, um, but getting to some of these other guys. Um, and then we're going to get into the the big name and, and there's, there might even be some no, more news on that, which isn't necessarily the best news, but we'll, we'll still get to it. Um, but it's not every day you have essentially nine kids on campus and six of them that have offers or seven of them that had offers all get crystal balled to Notre Dame, essentially, minus the Darius Hayes. Um, so it's a big weekend, even though it wasn't a huge weekend in terms of, you know, quantity. Um, a lot of quality was on campus, and I think a lot of that quality could end up in Notre Dame's class when all said and done. Yeah, and I, I mean, Tom Loy is as plugged in as it gets, but I can't imagine even he thought he was going to leave this weekend with – you know, a handful of crystal balls, much less eight. Like that's absurd. So well, I went from like, what did it go from like four? And then he said it was going to, or he said like three and then he said four. And then he realized that he didn't have Bryce young in there, even though like, so people don't realize if you don't, if you don't follow it. I mean, I think he thought Bryce young was already a crystal ball. So he's sort of like that one guy that got left out in a sense, but it went from like four to six to eight. And all of a sudden we're like, Holy crap, man, this weekend was, was amazing for Notre Dame. Or yeah. at least hopefully amazing down the road. For sure, yeah, and hopefully it turns into good things for Notre Dame. But, I mean, you expect good things from a junior day. It's always one of the best recruiting days. And then you get something like this that just blows out of the water. And I guess I've come to expect this from Marcus Freeman. So, um, all good things. And hoping to hear – I mean, if things are getting crystal balled and all signs are pointing the right way. Hopefully we'll be hearing some good news on a handful of these guys very soon. Yeah, yeah. and speaking of good news, uh, the one guy we haven't really talked about yet, probably the crown jewel, jewel of anybody that would um... – would have been on campus. Obviously, he was not, um, but a guy that did receive a crystal ball, five-star defensive lineman, um, probably more of a defensive tackle, three technique from an athletic standpoint, but can also play the nose. What is he, like, listed at 6'5", 310 pounds or so as a junior in high school? Yeah. Um, talking about Justin Scott out of St. Ignatius in Chicago. Um, you know, honestly, an area where at least in the last couple of years, Notre Dame hasn't done as good of a job at recruiting 
Um, you know, I mean, there's obviously some other, you know, there's some factors in play there, like a guy like JJ McCarthy, Notre Dame essentially picked Tyler Buckner over him. It is what it is. I mean, obviously JJ uh, McCarthy was in the college football playoff this year and, you know, had a, su- a successful season at, um, at Michigan and Buckner got hurt. So it's hard to really compare the two right now, but they've lost some other guys like AJ Henning, maybe some other, other guys that they haven't recruited as much as they should have. Um, but now you have Cam Williams in the fold in the 2024 class, who's a big name in the Chicago area. They just offered a running back in Darian Dupree, um, who a lot of people think could end up at Notre Dame if they push for him out of the Chicago area. And then, like I said, the big name is Justin Scott, who, you know, is at a Catholic high school in Chicago, an hour and a half away or whatever it may be, depending on where I, I, you might have a better, more familiarity with where St. Ignatius is. I don't know if it's North or South. Um, That's accurate. Hour and a half. Gotcha. But an hour and a half away from Notre Dame, give or take, and is a five-star in your backyard, gets the crystal ball. I said that there might be some bad news in this. Obviously we don't know if the January 31st commitment date that he mentioned is still good. Um, it was deleted off of his Twitter profile. I don't know if that was before or after he received the Georgia offer. Um, you know, Georgia's obviously back-to-back national champions. When you when you get an offer from a school like that, you got to consider it. Um, I, I don't blame the kid if he does consider it. I think the one good thing that's working in Notre Dame's favor here, and then Mason, I'll let you talk. <laughs> but uh, he, he is a kid that has seemingly wanted to stay close to home, and it's sort of been a Michigan-Notre Dame battle. Um, if you would ask me a week ago, I wouldn't have said Notre Dame was really that involved because it didn't seem like they were. Um, but then they turned up the heat. They went to his basketball game. They got an in, you know, not an in-home visit, but they went to his high school. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, he got, you know, a lot of positive smoke kind of started happening in Notre Dame's favor. And then he got the, the crystal ball from Tom Loy and several others on the Notre Dame beat um, over the last couple of days. So it seems like Notre Dame's in a good spot. We don't know. I mean, obviously the Georgia offer could come in and 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 shake things up. As of right now, I'm sort of I'm sort of banking on the fact that he has the prior, you know, relationships with the Notre Dame staff. And, you know, maybe he postpones his commitment a little bit just because he wants to uh explore some other options. But I think when it's all said and done, man, I I really think he ends up in Notre Dame. Yeah, I would advise people not to get all that concerned about a commitment date because, as we've said many times, that's essentially just naming a leader at this point in college football. So as exciting as it would be potentially for him to, say, announce Notre Dame and be a part of the class, um, I'm not to say he's the kind of guy to to flip all over the place and be such an NIL guy, but who doesn't look at NIL at this point? Who doesn't look at an offer from the back-to-back defending champions who are, are involved in NIL as well in Georgia? So. Um, I wouldn't get super wrapped up in when he's announcing or anything like that. Of course, it'd be difficult with Notre Dame, but yeah, you got to look at all the factors here. And of course, Notre Dame would love to have Justin Scott, but uh, we've been down this road too many times with uh, big five-star players. But the distance definitely helps, and uh, I certainly I would love him uh, to be in this class because it sounds like from what everybody says that when he's in to a class and locked in, he's going to be a big time recruiter. And if and Notre, he'll Dame be locked in. On, yeah. if Notre Dame had him recruiting the defensive side and CJ Carr recruiting the offensive side, I mean, that's about as good as it gets. 
Yeah. And I think what you just brought up is important. I think, and I, and I was kind of going to get into this a little bit. So if he, if he commits Notre Dame on January 31st, great, that's awesome. It means, and, and I think sometimes people forget this because, you know, we've been burned by Keon Keeley. We've been burned by Peyton Bowen in the last couple cycles, you know, look at CJ Williams last year, who wasn't a five-star, but you know, damn near close. And then obviously he burned him again this year when he entered the transfer portal. But when you get a kid committed, there is still a better chance of him signing with you than anywhere else. Most kids who commit to a school, specifically a blue blood power five program like Notre Dame or Georgia or Alabama, Michigan, wherever you want to talk about Ohio state, when kids commit to those type of schools, they don't typically decommit unless it's, they're getting pushed out of the class or, you know, in this, in this era of NIL and stuff like that, sometimes that's a factor. So we saw that with Keon Keeley and Peyton Bowen, but if Justin Scott commits to Notre Dame on January 31st, the likelihood of him signing with Notre Dame goes up substantially. And I think sometimes people need to have, just kind of remember that. Um, And then the other, the other thing I wanted to say, and this is kind of just completely hypothetical, but let's just say he pushes back his commitment date, right? To let's just say March, because he wants to maybe go check out Georgia. Maybe he's like, okay, I'm not a hundred percent ready, but in March, let's just say he ends up committing to Notre Dame. And that's exactly the place he wants to be. And he realizes that's where he wants, that's what he wants. I would say Notre Dame's odds go up even further because he got to experience some of those other schools. He got to, you know, have a couple more months of saying, you know what, this is the right place for me. And then he ends up at Notre Dame. So I'm not saying I want that to happen because obviously I'd rather him commit on January 31st and, you know, and get it over with. Cause I do think he's a kid that once he commits, he's, he's sold. I think that's just kind of his style. And like you said, he's going to be a huge recruiter for whatever class he ends up in. But hypothetically, if he pushes it back a little bit and then still ends up at Notre Dame, I think the odds go up even more that he ends up in the class. So it might not be the worst thing in the world for him to sort of experience some of this other stuff and then still come back. But, you know, you don't really want to pick. You don't want to really pick and choose when you when a kid commits. If he wants to commit on January 31st, you take the commitment and you go from there and, you know, hope he doesn't change his mind. Yeah, and I think people get wrapped up, and me admittedly too, in the Peyton Bowen, Keon Keeley, Dante Moore, for better or worse, whatever that was. Everybody. Um, but the the vast majority of Notre Dame's class did stick, and that's the case, like you said, across the country. So, I mean, you can get wrapped up in the decommitments, and of course, those get all the publicity. So it seems like it's happening constantly. But in the vast majority of kids do stay, like you said. But um, when it comes to five stars, it's uh, it's the wild west out here, man. So you got to be careful and. I have no doubt that this staff's going to recruit the hell out of him as they already have. So that's not an issue. And you guys, I guess you couldn't say that about Notre Dame teams or staffs in the past. And and that's kind of why I also threw out the caveat that it's, it's when you commit to a big time program, because I, I, I mean, I don't know the exact percentages. My guess would still be, it's like probably 75, 85% where if a kid commits somewhere, he they stay with that commitment o- overall. But when you, let's just say like, you know, Notre Dame, I think Notre Dame's class has about six or seven guys in the 2023 cycle. And they even have one in the 2024 cycle already that were committed to different programs. But when you look around where where those programs are, they're not in the same realm as Notre Dame as a, first of all, a blue blood with multiple national championships and a name brand, but also just current 
who has a better chance of winning a national title, who plays a better schedule, who lands the best recruits in general out of those out of those recruiting cycles. So you look at a kid like Bubakar Traor or Traore and you look at a kid like Kenny Minchie, like, yeah, were they at Power 5 programs, Boston College, Pitt? Great. Were they at programs that are going to win a national championship? Probably not. And Notre Dame, while they're probably in that also probably not category overall, just because of what what has sort of, you know, we've seen in the last 10 years, 12 years of of uh, of college football, whatever, those you still have a better chance of winning a national championship. And Notre Dame has that name brand and has the the blue blood um, perspective that uh, that I'm that I'm bringing up. And so typically speaking, when a kid commits to Notre Dame, he stays locked in with Notre Dame. And, you know, that ends up kind of the end all be all there. Yeah, essentially, in short, when you see it happen, it's they're taking a step up. And, of, of course, we love it when Notre Dame gets a flip. But when they get flipped on, then it's then it sucks, of course. But it happens all around the country. Like you said, not super common, but something to just be aware of, I guess, as we move forward. All right, Mason, that's enough of the junior day stuff, I think. Um, you know, obviously we'll see where things go when it comes to, when it comes to that kind of stuff, obviously me and you are excited about all the guys that were on campus. We'll see what happens. We think that Notre Dame is going to land a lot of those guys, but, um, let's get into Irish in the NFL. Um, I sent out a tweet a few days ago, um, or I think right before the wild card round started about all the guys that are in the NFL right now, playing in the playoffs that attended Notre Dame. And it was a pretty big list. I think it ended up being 17 guys. I left out Tony Jones jr. On accident. Um, partly because when I looked up the Seattle Seahawks roster, he was no longer on there. And then I looked, I did some digging and it looked like he was waived, was put on the practice squad, but then was released from the practice squad, added back to the practice squad. And then evidently was actually on the 53 man roster for their playoff game. Um, but was a healthy scratch, um, during the game and did not end up playing against, was it the 49ers? I think they played, um, in the first yeah. round. Did not end up playing and did not end up playing for him, but he was the one guy I left off of those lists. Now you we fast forward past the wild card weekend. A lot of a lot of Notre Dame guys, first of all, played great, um, even in losses. Um, and I think honestly, arguably their two best players in the playoffs so far, not in we'll, and we'll get into some of the offensive linemen because I do think there is a special realm <laughs> for, for offensive linemen when it comes to Notre Dame in the NFL, even tight ends to a certain extent. But Kyle Hamilton, rookie safety for the Ravens, and Drew Tranquil, you know, fourth year guy, I believe, for the uh, San Diego or not San Diego Chargers. Sorry, the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. I always say San Diego Chargers, and it, it gets me screwed up. But Los Angeles Chargers, Drew Tranquil, their their starting linebacker, obviously played in Notre Dame as well. Arguably, they had the best two days of anybody in losses, um, but. I think, let me find my tweet here real quick from earlier today, but I think Notre Dame still has, you know, seven or so guys. And let me just pull it up real quick. It looks like, yeah, Aaron Banks and Mike McGlinchey for the 49ers. They're both starters along the offensive line for them. Ian Book, who's a, you know, backup quarterback for the Eagles. Zach Martin Under the program. for the Cowboys. Uh, Julian Love, Nick McLeod, Jalen Smith, all in the Giants advance. And then I, 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 I put Kevin Austin in there as well. He's a practice squad member for the Jaguars. So deserves a little bit of praise in that regard because he is on the roster. Um, those are the guys remaining. Um, but just talking about the wild card weekend, 
Um, what did you kind of see out of Notre Dame guys? I know you watched a little bit more of the playoffs than I did. I unfortunately had a pretty busy weekend and wasn't able to watch a lot of the games, but just seeing on Twitter, it looks like specifically, like I mentioned, Kyle Hamilton and Drew Tranquil had huge days. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much said it. Um, in terms of impact plays, you're not going to get a lot of those from offensive linemen. But I said b- before the Ravens game started, I was like, man, a, a Kyle Hamilton pick six would be pretty cool. Right. And that didn't necessarily happen, but a massive hit, the hit stick, and then the fumble recovery is just about as good. So uh, I'll take that. I mean, what an awesome play. I completely shifted the momentum. They didn't get the win. But you got to imagine if Lamar Jackson's playing in that game, it changes things. Tyler Huntley played well, but – Kyle Hamilton did what he could on the defensive side. And then Drew Tranquil has just been doing what he's done all year long in terms of making plays for the Chargers. And that guy, I mean, he's all over the place, forcing fumbles, intercepting the ball, sacks, tackle for loss, you name it, he does it. So actually, Alohi Gilman had a couple pass breakups too. He had a good day. So um, a couple Chargers doing well. Um, Harrison Smith, uh, he made a couple plays from what I've seen. I didn't get to watch a ton of that game. Of course, the Vikings bow out of the playoffs, as they usually do early on. But we know um, how good he is, so. Yeah, right. But, yeah, the uh, Vikings couldn't get it done again. I'm trying to think of any anybody else that had some standout plays. Um, it's too bad there isn't, like, a, a skill position guy that is uh, tearing it up. But I think that will change here in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Dolphins obviously had, you know, Durham Smythe as a tight end. Uh, I don't know if he did anything in the game. Like I said, I didn't really watch, um, but obviously a guy that, you know, is running around for them and ha- having some success. Um, they did, they did not advance, but um, you know, looking at the giants though, I mean, Jalen, Jalen Smith, Julian love are huge parts of their defense. They both had solid days. I think Julian, Julian love had a near interception. Um, but I mean, I, I really, I don't, I, I really want to get into the Kyle Hamilton talk because it's just, it's wild to me how, and I, and I'm not saying it's just Notre Dame guys. So I'm really not trying to get that, but it does seem like two of their best players in recent memory have slipped down draft boards because of kind of bogus reasons. Jeremiah Wusukormoa, the year before Kyle Hamilton, dropped all the way to the second round because of some perceived health conditions and has never had any issues um, come up in the NFL. I mean, obviously he's been injured a little bit this year, but from a I think there was some rumors that it was it was heart related with him when he was at the combine and stuff like that. Fell to the second round of the Browns has been brilliant for them over the past two two years. And then Kyle Hamilton, like I don't want to berate the point too much because he only fell to fourteen, so it's not like he's not making good money. It's he obviously ended up in a good spot with the Ravens, and you know for a safety going fourteenth overall, it's still pretty pretty good. And he was the number one safety in the class and and all that, but all the talk about, you know, his, his 40 time and him not being a unicorn and, and, and being like a tremendous elite talent. I'm here to tell you, Mason, the guy is still a damn unicorn. He's six, yes. four, he's 220. He can play a linebacker. He can play safety. He's playing slot like 90% of the time for the Ravens. And everybody wants to bring up the video where the guy who didn't even go did drafted or whatever burned him in, you know, in at the combine or whatever it was, or in Ravens camp, or I, I forget when it was at the, at this point, but people forget that in practice settings, guys get burnt all the time. And a guy like Kyle Hamilton, who's not a cornerback trying to guard a receiver is going to get burnt on one-on-one one-on-one coverage, but you put him in a situation where it's 11 on 11 and, you know, he gets to play to his strengths. He gets to be downhill, you know, forcing guys, you know, to the line of scrimmage, 
it, I think his play that he had specifically in the game where he, he hit sticked, picked up the fumble recovery. That's Kyle Hamilton in a nutshell. And that's what you drafted him for. And dude, like, I don't understand <laughs> like how someone can be employed. And I, and I, I was listening a little bit to the hit and hustle um, with Greg Flamong uh, earlier today. And he, he kind of brought up the point and he was like, stop going to the, whatever coach anonymous coach said that Kyle Hamilton should not be um, not, or should be attacked. Like they were not afraid of him in college. Uh, to me, that's bullshit. Kyle Hamilton was not only one of the best players in college football, got drafted 14th overall. And I think was rated the second best safety in the NFL this year as a rookie. Um, and maybe I think the second overall rookie and, and PFF ratings or whatever um, behind Sots Gardner, who was picked what second or, or third or fourth or whatever overall. So I'm here to tell you guys, Kyle Hamilton is still a stud. Don't believe anonymous coaches that want to throw crap out there. The guy's going to be, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be a hall of famer. Cause I think that's, you know, at this point in time, it's still ridiculous to a certain extent to say, but the guy's a stud. As long as he stays healthy, he's going to remain a stud. Yeah, as much as it pains me that he's a stud for the Ravens that I hate, but it gives me a reason to tune in, at least root for him defensively. But yeah, I mean, everything happens for a reason, I guess. I mean, Kyle Hamilton wears 14, wore 14 Notre Dame, wears 14 for the Ravens. It's kind of a cool story when you think about it. Um, yeah, draft the Ravens, 14, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. The, the Ravens traditionally draft well. It uh, doesn't surprise me that they drafted well again with Hamilton. I'm sure they were shocked that he even slipped that far. I was. Um, but yeah, the who knows why anonymous coaches have they they have reasons for the things that they say and they remain anonymous so that they can let their bias out and not have a name attached to it. So somebody made it was a big probably the Georgia Tech. It was probably some Georgia Tech coach when they lost 55 to nothing in Notre Dame. Kyle Hamilton didn't even play in that game, and he's from that area, and he got mad that he didn't go to Georgia Tech. Right, exactly. So, I mean, they have their reasons for it, but um, whatever it is, the Ravens capitalized, and Kyle Hamilton had an outstanding rookie year adjusting to the NFL game, and I'm expecting him to only be better. Yeah, no, I, I, I just think it's – I don't know, man. It's, it's hard to talk about because I think he – Part of me thinks that he's a guy that depending on the team, I mentioned this in a group chat yesterday. If I think that there are, I think there are still teams out there that would have taken him earlier if he wasn't a safety. And I think sometimes positional value and whatever it may be gets a little bit involved. We're probably going to see that with Michael Mayer this year in the draft as well. He's going to drop down a little bit because he plays tight end. And, but sometimes I think that's where the over, like the, the NFL overthinks things. Like sometimes you just got to draft the guy that you think's going to, or that, you know, I mean, I guess you have to say think cause you just never know, but draft the guy that you think is a stud regardless of the position. I was, uh, I think you're, you're in the same group chat I'm in. Someone brought up yesterday that if the bears trade down there, if they get a second first round pick, the guy that they should get as their second first round pick is Michael Mayer. And when you think about it to a certain extent, you're like, okay, why would they go after Michael Mayer? They already have Cole Komet. They have a good tight end room. You know, why not go out and get different players? But at the same time, Michael Mayer might be the safest player in this draft outside of like Jalen Carter and Will Anderson, maybe even, maybe even including those guys, he might be the safest player in this draft to be an absolute dude at the position that he plays. Go out and get him. Just do it. And I'm not saying it has to be the Bears. I'm only kind of using them as an example because it was used in our group chat and I'm a Bears fan. But man, go out and get dudes and figure out the rest later. We talk about that all the time in recruiting. 
Notre Dame did that this year. Didn't end up working out because some of them decommitted. But at one point in time, they had three running backs committed. And people are like, well, why do you have three running backs committed? Because we like them all. We'll figure out. We'll figure it out later. This year, I think me and you agree on this. Go out and sign six or seven defensive linemen because there are six to seven, maybe even more defensive linemen that might want to come to your school and they're all freaking good. Go out and get them and just go get dudes. Figure it out later. Maybe let's put that on a Golden Homers t shirt. If we end up coming out with merch, just in quotes, <laughs> go, go get, get dudes. dudes. I mean, that's all it is, really. And you're right about the NFL overthinking things. I mean, they're. And I think so every sport does it. They're so convinced that they're so smart and know all these things. I mean, put, pop on the tape and tell me what's wrong with Kyle Hamilton. So, right. um, like I said, the Ravens, who cares? Right. The Ravens benefited. It showed in the playoffs. It's too bad that they weren't healthy because they could have made a run. But I also hate the Ravens. So, yeah. see ya. The only unfortunate part about the Irish in the NFL right now for the playoffs perspective is I still don't think there's going to be a Notre Dame player that wins it. I think it's that wins a Super Bowl ring, I should say, this year. Um, I mean, there's still a lot of guys in it, but I, I mean, I think the Giants are probably going to lose to the Eagles. Um, so maybe Ian Book ends up winning one as a backup quarterback, which would be awesome. That'd still be great for him. But, you know, you have the Bills and the Chiefs sitting there with no Notre Dame players. Um, you know, both those one teams. of them needs to draft Michael Mayer, then one of them has to. Yeah. I hope he doesn't go to the Bucks or the or the Packers, man. I'll be so pissed because I yeah. think both those teams have a chance at him. And Tom Brady, I think Andy Reid wants like Andy Reid wants to run two tight end sets with Kelsey and Mayer. God, that would be insane. But that's why that's why I brought up the Cole Komet Michael Mayer thing. If no, if you trade down, let's just say you trade down with Houston and somehow get the second and the twelfth pick or whatever in the draft, and Michael Mayer sitting there at twelve, and you can get Michael Mayer or some you know offensive lineman. And I'm not saying that the offensive linemen aren't good, but like who would you rather have, Michael Mayer on your roster or Paris Johnson? I'm pick, I'm taking Michael Mayer ten out of ten times. Well, right, especially if you're in a position where your roster is bad. No offense, like the Bears, you take yeah. guys that you know we're going to be good and you don't have question marks. Yeah, I like how you said no offense. Like I was going to take offense to that. <laughs> um, but okay. Yeah. Irish in the NFL, man. Like hopefully one of them wins. And I think probably the, the closest opportunity, like I said, would be maybe Ian book winning it on the Eagles or the 49ers making that big run and having banks and McGlinchey win it. But there's a part of me that doesn't want Brock Purdy to, <laughs> to go win the, to go win an, a ring this year. I, I'm not a huge fan of his game overall, even though he's had some success. I think he's kind of a flash in the pan, and I would hate I would hate to see him win it over, like, I don't know, Jalen Hurts, for example, who I think is a really, really talented quarterback and probably well more deserving of winning one. But, I mean, I'm a, I don't want to make this into a Brock Purdy hate, hate session. You're right. I think he's just the media's darling right now. It would be cool to see the two Notre Dame guys get it. They've been a big part of their success, McGlinchey and Aaron Banks. I didn't expect Banks to stay in the league this long. I mean, McGlinchey's been up and down, but they've both been excellent this year. Dude, uh, Banks is a yeah. second-year player. What are you talking about? I didn't expect him to stick around. I don't know why. I, I thought he might have a problem with, like, weight, but he's been great. Okay, fair enough. I, I I mean, I didn't realize that. I thought me and you were more on the same page on Banks. I think you knew. I, I was like a big Banks guy. I thought he could be. A, he should have been a first-round pick, should have came back to Notre Dame, played left tackle. Maybe would have got top 10 after that, and – his rookie season, I think, at uh, with the with uh, the Niners, he was hurt a little bit and didn't end up playing yeah. too much. And people were calling him a bust as a second round pick or whatever. And then this year, I think he's been like their best offensive lineman. And 
I'm not going to sit there and say Notre Dame has the three best guards in football because I think that's a little rich at this point, but they certainly have the two best with with Martin and Nelson, um, or at least very arguably the two best. Um, certainly Martin, I think, is the best just based off pedigree and what he's done already and what he's still continuing to do. Nelson had a little bit of a down year, but I think everybody obviously thinks he's a stud. But Banks, dude, had a really, really good season. And I'm not saying that you're hating on him now, but I'm a little bit surprised that you're that you weren't as high on him, at least going in. Yeah, and to be honest, I thought this was his third or fourth season. Time is a little bit Time flies weird now. for me right now. But, um, yeah, I don't know why I, I didn't think that he would necessarily stick around. Of course, he was good, but I don't I don't know why I thought that, actually. But um, <laughs> I mean, the way, I think the weight concerns were something that people thought of, for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'm gladly stand corrected. Hey, and, and, and no, one, no one here is saying that you weren't rooting for him, because you definitely were, so that's definitely not part of it. Right. All right, let's uh, let's finish, Mason. A uh, little bit, a little bit of a bittersweet. That's a tongue twister. A little bit of a bittersweet subject here with Mike Bray and Notre Dame. Obviously, they're nine and nine. They play, they're nine and nine. They play a game here in about fifteen minutes, so I want to hop off and watch that a little bit, just because I'm a a suffering Notre Dame basketball fan at this point. And I'm sure you're in the same realm there, but. Um, Nine and nine, one and six in conference play. This was a team that was supposed to make possibly a, you know, I think it's always hit or miss if you're going to make a six week 16 run or elite eight run or whatever, because there is some luck involved there. Um, you know, very similar to like kind of like the college world series where not always the best team wins um, and different things like that. But in Notre Dame's case, this was a team that was expected to not only make the tournament, but have a chance at making a deep run. And now they sit here, like I said, at nine and nine, one and six in conference play probably not even on pace to make an NIT bid at this point. Mike Bray's been here since 2000. He's had his ups and downs, but for the most part, you know, he's been a tremendous coach, Hall of Famer, winning his coach in Notre Dame history. I think he sits right here at 481 or 491 victories and counting. Um, like I said, winning his coach in Notre Dame history, the back-to-back elite eights are, are never going to go, um, like people are going to remember those back-to-back elite for a long time. Loosest coach in America vibes are, you know, are, are great for him. I wrote an article this week for winning edge sports network. Go ahead and read it. I'll probably attach it to this podcast once we're done, but essentially it was the top five candidates to replace Notre Dame. And I think that we can get to this point. Um, it seems to be that this is going to be the, his last hurrah. Um, I mentioned in the article that it, I hate cliches, but in this case, it seems very fitting that, you know, all good things must come to an end. And I think in Mike Bray's case at Notre Dame, this is the end for him. Um, I know Irish Illustrated has talked about it a little bit as well. Um, But I mean, I guess before I get into the list itself, Mason, like what are your kind of thoughts on Mike Bray and the Notre Dame basketball program? Do you think, do you kind of have the same vibe that it's his last season, whether it's stepping down or moving on to a different spot? Yeah, I definitely get that vibe. I don't even know if he'll move on to another job. I mean, I think he's still young enough to do that, but I feel like Notre Dame's where his heart is, and uh, I totally get that. But not to age myself, but I haven't known another coach, another, another Notre Dame basketball coach. Hey, it was hired life. the year you were born, man. Yeah, he was hired, I don't even know, like a couple of days before I was born, I think. So it's kind of surreal for me. I've grown up always obviously a big fan of Bray Luke's coach in America. Super fun to watch. Uh, but had the had the chance to go to a, a quite a bit of Notre Dame basketball games and just watching him on the sideline. He's he's a great coach, but like you said, all all good things come to an end, unfortunately, and it, it's not happening for a team that it should be happening for. So 
Notre Dame basketball needs to take a different direction, preferably with a young guy, a young experienced guy, if that's a thing. I mean, that's the ideal fit. So um, somebody young with energy that understands what it takes right now, you need a, a young, hungry recruiter. Uh, Bryce stepped up his recruiting the last couple of years, but um, so, Notre Dame, I, I was listening to the Irish Illustrated podcast and they were saying that it's going to be, you know, multiple year rebuild. And I think that's unfortunately the case in a year that we expected them to be very good. It just, it's not happening. And um, it, it really is a shame because I love the guy, but uh, yeah, it might be, uh, might be goodbye. The only thing I'll say is on a short, like a small roster overall, where you play five guys and you have about, you know, you know, hopefully four to other uh, four to five other guys that can play maybe another couple that are on scholarship or something like that. I don't, I think that they're, and I hate to disagree because I think those guys know a lot, but I think they're exaggerating a little bit when it comes to how quickly you can turn a program around. Um, you know, especially in the world of the transfer portal and stuff like that, if they brought in a guy, I'm not saying that Notre Dame would all of a sudden make the elite eight the next season or something like that, but it wouldn't be a surprise that they were good or, you know, they were able to kind of turn it around the next season or something like that. I, I don't think it's going to be as quick a rebuild. I mean, maybe it obviously depends on who they bring in and what they, what they're able to do. Um, but man, it just seems time. Like it, it's just this weird vibe. It's I, there's been vibes in the past with Mike Bray leaving, you know, retiring, whatever it may be. And I know he's had his fair share of critics over the last, you know, probably five to six years, but I think, which I think is unfortunate. Cause I think, that wears off a little bit on some people like me and you who really like him. And it's, he deserved his time at Notre Dame and certainly a guy that should not be hated by some of the fan base like he is um, overall. But you mentioned, you meant, and I'll get into my list here. You mentioned a, a young coach who's also experienced. And one of the guys I put on the list fits that description to a T and that's Wes Miller at Cincinnati who has been sort of rumored to Notre Dame in the past. I don't know if there's actually any true connection there. And I mentioned that in the article, but when, when there were rumors like two or three years ago that Mike Bray might retire or step down, whatever it may be, Wes Miller was a name that was brought up not only by just fans, but by people like Tim Priester at Irish Illustrated. He is now a, I think he was at, um, what is it? UNC Greensboro. He was at UNC Greensboro for essentially 10 years as the head coach. And now he's at his second year at Cincinnati. He's 39 years old. So putting that into perspective, we all think Marcus Freeman is a young coach at 35, 36, and he's now in his second year at Notre Dame. He's 35, 36. By the time he's a vet, a 10-year vet at Notre Dame, hopefully, I'm crossing my fingers there that he'll be there that long, he'll be 45, which is still very young. Wes Miller is 39 years old and is now in his 12th year as a head coach. So I think he fits that description to a T. He's had great success. He's brought he brought UNC Greensboro to the tournament. I think he won three Southern Conference championships. I think one or two of them were in the regular season. Another one was in the actual tournament. Um, a couple other guys. Um, I, 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 and sorry, uh, real quick to bring up Wes Miller a little bit or to kind of go a step further with Wes Miller. He's also a guy that is starting to turn around Cincinnati. Cincinnati's always been a good program, but they were sort of kind of going downhill a little bit. His first year wasn't a huge success. I think they won like 18 games or whatever it is. And now this year they sort of are catapulting to more of a team. That, you know, they might be a bubble team-ish, but they are definitely a team that is looking more and more like a tournament team as the season goes on. Um, and they're obviously in a conference that gets more than one bid on a yearly basis. 
I still think that's a guy that you have to make a phone call to. I know Cincinnati is going to be in the Big 12 next year, so maybe he's like, okay, well, we're going to be in a big-time conference. Why would I go to Notre Dame? You know, who knows? Maybe he ends up in Notre Dame. I just think he's a guy that Jack Swarbrick has to make a phone call to. Uh, a couple other guys, Sean Sweeney, who is a Dallas Mavericks assistant, Chris Quinn, who is a Miami Heat assistant and obviously played at Notre Dame under Mike Bray. I think Sean Sweeney is a little bit more doable than Chris Quinn, even though Chris Quinn did play at Notre Dame. I think Chris Quinn has aspirations to be an, uh, an NBA assistant or an NBA head coach, um, more so than being a co collegiate coach. Now, then again, I still think that's a phone call you have to make. He's one of the most well-respected um, assistants in the NBA. He, he's under maybe the best NBA coach there is in Eric Spolstra, or at least one of the best there is in recent memory. And then in Sean Sweeney's case, he he did not attend Notre Dame. I think he actually went, he's a, he's a Minnesota native. I forget where he went to college, um, but a Minnesota native has a house in South Bend is friends with Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman has been to Dallas Mavericks practices and spoke to those guys and so on and so forth. Um, I think Sean Sweeney would literally walk to Notre Dame if offered the job. Now, again, he is a guy that is also an, you know, a young up and comer in the NBA, a top assistant has been around the block for a while now, even though he's young and he is also going to receive some NBA interest. So Notre Dame would have, I think in, in Sweeney's case, and maybe even in Quinn's case, they, they are guys that would have to be phone calls this off season, meaning that Bray would have to step down after this year um, or get fired or whatever it may be. Um, so they would have to kind of act quickly if those are guys that they really want. A couple other guys I mentioned in the article, Micah Shrewsbury from Penn State. Um, again, he's in a top conference. Penn State doesn't have a rich basketball history, so I think that's someone that you could probably swing for. Um, he's also an Indiana native. He coached Division Three basketball at, um, you know, in in Indiana before you know leaving to other other areas. He was at he was the head coach actually at IU South Bend. Uh, for a few seasons, went on to be Brad Stevens' top assistant at uh, Butler, then went on to Purdue, then followed Brad Stevens to the Boston Celtics, where he was there for six or seven years. So that name might actually ring a bell for you, Mason. I don't know if it does or not, um, but he is a guy that was in the NBA for a few years, and then he became the associate head coach at Purdue um, before taking the Penn State job, and he has Penn State kind of, you know, on the upscale, I guess. Um, as a basketball uh, program so yeah I mean those are and then the other the other name I had was and this is sort of just a guy that I've you know grown fond of I guess as a college basketball fan but uh, Darian DeVries from Drake um, part of me I really like and I and I hate to say it this way because you should never hire a coach because of this but part of me really likes him because his son is also a stud basketball player at Drake it would probably instantly be Notre Dame's best player next year, assuming J.J. Starling goes to the NBA draft, which I guess that's maybe a bold assumption right now. He, there's definitely a chance he could come back. Um, but his son, Tucker, is a really, really good player, one of the best players in college basketball. And the only reason he's at Drake is because of his dad. He had power five offers, offers from a lot of other programs. So if he followed his dad to Notre Dame, that'd be big. Um, but his dad is a disciple, I guess, for lack of a better word, of Greg McDermott at Creighton. Um, he was there for you know, 17, 18 years under Greg McDermott and then took the Drake job. And he has had Drake, you know, essentially winning, you know, 20 to 25 games on a very yearly basis now. And um, they're a program that is a, a solid group of five um, basketball team that, you know, if Notre Dame played them this year, they'd probably lose if we're being completely honest, just with the way that things are trending. So um, 
those are the five I mentioned. There's plenty of others. I know the Rutgers coach grew up a Notre Dame fan and Rutgers is a good program. And I'm sure that, you know, Martin Inglesby would get a call from, from Delaware as a Notre Dame guy who played under Mike Bray at, at Notre Dame and, you know, has Delaware in a good spot. But those five for me were really the guys that I, I would personally make a phone call to and, and want to be the face of the Notre Dame basketball program. If, uh, if Mike Bray stepped down. So Definitely go read the article. I'm going to attach it to this podcast. But Mason, any thoughts there? Uh, I, I know you probably read it, um, but any thoughts on just guys that you would want? I know that was long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not a ton to add, really. Uh, basketball is a lot more of your realm than mine. I'd say I'm more knowledgeable than the the average guy. But in terms of uh, NBA stuff, that's not my expertise or uh, coaching or any of that. But um, I definitely I did look into the guys that you had mentioned and you know I trust your research and your knowledge and of your short list so there uh, I'm excited about that whole group really I'm just curious to see how Notre Dame decides to do this and uh, what it looks like for um, you know moving on from Mike Bray who's one of your best coaches ever so when Notre Dame gets a coach they tend to stay so you hope it's a guy that is there for the long term Notre Dame isn't the most storied program ever but definitely has some history there some really good players so um curious to see what step they take um it needs to be a good one I, I don't know how much longer Jack Storbeck has but I'm sure that he wants to put the basketball program in a good position um and just like he did with the football program with a, a young energetic guy so I'm hoping he takes uh, kind of the same path there yeah, and I think some some people don't have the belief that they care about no, basketball enough at Notre Dame to, you know, make a strong hire. But I think when you look at some of the other some of the other programs that are non-football, and you can throw football in there too, because obviously basketball and football are going to be the two most, you know, revenue generating sports. So you gotta you gotta pay attention to basketball. But like, look at, look at the last two baseball hires. Like obviously Link Jarrett came from UNC Greensboro as well. And I think that's maybe why some people have the West Miller connection there. Cause they obviously were at UNC Greensboro at the same time. And, you know, maybe that's why West Miller was a guy for Notre Dame that people brought up, but you know, he came from a smaller conference, so on and so forth, but was very successful. And they hired him at Notre Dame. He was obviously tremendously successful. And now he left for Florida state, which is his alma mater. But then they follow that up by hiring Stifler from VCU who, you know, again, from a, a weaker conference, but a program that makes the college, you know, the um, the regionals in college baseball every season, pretty much that he's been there over the last several years. Um, so I have no reason to believe that they won't want to hire, you know, like I'm not going to say a big name per se, but a guy that they think can be tremendously successful. And I, and I agree with you. I think it's got to be a young, energetic guy. Um, I don't know if it has to be someone who has a bunch of, um, head coaching experience, I guess. I mean, I think any of the guys I mentioned, including Chris Quinn and Sean Sweeney would be tremendous hires. And if any of those guys get hired by Notre Dame, I'll be pretty ecstatic about it, but, but they, they got to get it right. And, you know, if that means that they think that they have to hire a guy that has some experience in the, you know, as a head coach, whether that be in the NBA or college, um, they, they got to get a dynamic recruiter in there. Because I, I do think that I'm not going to sit there and say Notre Dame is a sleeping giant in basketball, but I do think that the one the one issue I might have had with Mike Bray as a coach during his you know 20 23 odd years or whatever it is at Notre Dame is I do think he was sort of set in his ways for better or for worse at times, and 
there are guys out there that can recruit Notre Dame basketball better than he did in the sense of bringing in the talent that they need to succeed at a high level against some of these programs that always bring in the top talent. And when we see Notre Dame in the past, the reason that they've been successful is because they have old teams that can shoot um, some old school basketball, stuff like that. Um, and, and they, and they win that way. And then with, but if you can bring in a guy that can bring in some rim, rim protectors, guys that just have elite athleticism, more of the Blake Wesleys and the JJ Starlings of the world, I think that'd be great. But um, want to wrap this up. And I want to get too much into the Notre Dame talk because he's not even, he's still technically an employee at Notre Dame. And uh, it, like I said, it is bittersweet, but there's definitely some guys to think about. Um, go ahead, guys. Please rate and review the podcast, Golden Homers. Follow us on Twitter at Golden Homers. Follow Mason at Mason Plummer underscore. Follow me at Nathan underscore Erbach. Uh, make sure you're following Winning Edge Sports Network. Make sure you're following the fanboys. Go check out those websites. Me and Mason are writing articles now. Uh, Mason, any closing thoughts here before we get out? Yeah, not a whole lot. I mean, definitely expecting hopefully some good news before the next time we record. I yeah, think with the amount of uh, crystal balls that were put out, I think it's fair to say that maybe one or two guys will pop for Notre Dame. So hopefully we'll have some good sure. things to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. We might have a space for you guys later this week if something does pop. If not, we will record at our, you know, Monday or Tuesday of next week. I think that's kind of the time that we've settled in on, guys. But like I said, follow, hit that. I don't want to say hit subscribe, I guess, but make sure you guys are rating and reviewing the podcast and following us on Twitter for all info. Have a good week, guys, and go Irish.